0: Welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. Awesome, awesome. You guys probably don't know me. Uh, My name is Billy. Uh, I get the privilege to serve as the lead pastor over at our Vidalia campus. And we've been there now for seven years. And I got the privilege to... Uh, see God save Buck all the way through uh, to raising him up and calling him uh, to ministry and then sending him out to Dublin. And man, what an incredible honor that has been for me to watch God use him and the leadership team over here. Uh, I love your church. Um, I talk to Buck about it, I pray for it. My wife and I, our family, uh, we're so thankful for the work that God is doing. Uh, not only through your leadership team, but through you guys. Man, what an incredible uh, impact. It seems like every time I talk to Buck, y'all are baptizing somebody else. And uh, baptism equals life change, where I come from. And so what an incredible privilege uh, to get to see what God is doing uh, here. And it's awesome to, to get to see that. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Jonah, Uh, The book of Jonah. Uh, I hear that you guys are walking through a series where you're going from Genesis uh, to Revelation and you're talking about how Christ is the center of every story. We're doing the same thing in Vidalia. Uh, We're a little bit further along than you guys. Uh, I actually did not get to preach uh, the Jonah passage in our series. So, man, I'm super excited uh, today to share this uh, with you. I want to pray one more time for us. And then, if you have your Bibles, Jonah 1 is where we'll start and we'll read together. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. Uh, God, we believe that your word is powerful. And God, we believe it's living and active. And God, we believe through your spirit, you empower it to change our lives. And God, to speak to our hearts. And God, to show us next steps that we need to take in our life. God, to draw us to repentance. And God, to send us out. So Father, I pray right now, as we open your word, God, that you would do just that. Lord, would you uh, create in us good soul. God, open ears, open hearts to hear from your word. God, that this wouldn't just be a motivational speech. God, it would be the power of your word. God, your voice coming through me to each of these people, God, so that we can grow and be more like you. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, so Jonah chapter one, uh, verses one through seventeen i don 't know how much you know about the Book of Jonah, but Jonah is a little bit different than all of the other prophets in the Bible. Uh, most of the prophetic books in Scripture are about the message of the prophet, and uh, Jonah is a little bit different. Uh, Jonah is the story of a disobedient prophet that is kind of trying to do his own thing, and God is is showing. And, and showing him incredible compassion and grace to draw him back. Many of you probably uh, know the book of Jonah through the, through the, the big fish, right? But Jonah is, is not just a book about a big fish. Uh, the big fish is actually a minor detail in the overall theme of Jonah, which is we have a big, compassionate God that recklessly and relentlessly pursues us with his grace, even when we're running from him, and that he uses broken people like you and I to take his message to reach people that have never been reached before. And so as we read, I want you to remember that from the beginning, and we'll dive in a little bit deeper to that. So verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So the first thing you should notice is that God gave Jonah very clear instructions, as clear as day. Go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is important because this is a theme that we see throughout the entire Bible, that God is always sending people out to take the gospel to where it has not been before. Nineveh, as many of you probably know, is not Israel. Uh, Nineveh is a pagan nation. This is a nation that is not a very good nation. If you read about uh, Nineveh, what you'll figure out is they are very violent. They are very, uh, they're not good people. They kill people and then they humiliate them and then they put them up to do all kinds of things. And so Jonah would have known that very clearly. And God gives him an incredible mission to go and take the gospel to them because God loves them. Even in the midst of their sin and their evil, God loves loves them and wants to give his grace to them. Verse three, how does Jonah respond? But Jonah, say it with me, ran away. Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed toward Tarshish. I won't make y'all say that. It's kind of like shh-kebab. Tarshish is a hard word uh, to say in the Bible. It's one of them words you don't want to preach. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish, to flee from the Lord, right? So, all right, God gives Jonah clear instructions to go this way uh, to, to over to Nineveh, and Jonah turns around and not just runs, but he runs the opposite direction. He goes toward, uh, to, toward uh, Joppa, and he flees from the Lord as far as he can flee towards Tarshish. And I think that's important for us to understand because Jonah directly disobeys and runs the opposite direction. But it's also before you start judging Jonah, it's important to understand the Ninevites were a difficult task, right? These are not a good people. This is literally, I was explaining to the connectors earlier, this would be like God raising up somebody right now and make, putting a clear call, speaking to their life, and saying, hey, buddy, I want you to go to Afghanistan. I want you to leave today and fly over to Afghanistan. With all the stuff that's going on right now, there's no safety, there's no security, there's no comfort. You don't know what's going to happen. You're basically risking your life because God has called you to do it. And Jonah says, no, God, I'm not willing to do that. I'm willing to run the opposite direction. Verse four, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm, think a hurricane, arose that the ship threatened to break up. It's crazy to think that our sovereign God will even use storms in the sea to get the attention of his people. How many of you know that God uses storms in our life to draw us back to repentance? How many of you have ran from God so much that things start happening in your life and you get madder at God, but God in his grace is trying to get your attention and turn you back? to what is good for you. Verse five, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. So we figure out very quickly, on this boat, the sailors are not Christians. They're crying out to all their different gods. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. This is exactly what disobedience is like. It's literally like sleeping on God's plan for your life. Verse 6, the captain went into him and said, "How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish." Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, "Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity." They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, "Tell us, who's responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do?" Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And then it says, an interesting caveat, I'd never read this until this time of preaching Jonah, but in my Bible it says, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. It was almost like Jonah was in their midst, and he was not just being disobedient, but he was bragging about his disobedience. We just see this heart that is hardened towards God. He thinks he's been big and bad right now, but let's see what happens. Verse eleven: The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, "What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? We don't want to die." Basically, "Pick me up and throw me into the sea." Jonah replied, "And he and it will become calm." I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm in an instant. God, calm. It's crazy when you think about that. Anybody ever been deep sea fishing? You ever been in a boat in the middle of the sea? That's not normal. That is a powerful miracle that God did right in their midst. Verse 16, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I mean, even though God used the storm that he used to discipline Jonah to save the lost sailors. Is that crazy? I mean, in his disobedience, God pursues him in love. And through his pursuit of Jonah in his disobedience, God accomplishes his plan of saving people and drawing to himself. What what an incredible, incredible thing. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. If you read the New Testament, there's a lot of uh, correlation and similarities between Jonah and actually what happened to Jesus. He was in the belly uh, for three days and three nights. Jesus died and was in the tomb for three days, three nights. And so a lot of people talk about Jesus as the greater uh, Jonah. But you know the story. He's swallowed by the big fish. Some people like to call it a whale. The Bible doesn't say that. And in the, in the fish, Jonah prays and repents from inside the fish. Chapter 2, we get his prayer. His prayer is a prayer of repentance. And then as soon as he repents and turns back to God, the fish spits him up on dry land. And God speaks to him again. Bounce with me to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Verse chapter 3 starts this way. It says, Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many of you know that God is a God of second chances? Amen. Amen? God's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. If you're anything like me, you need every one of those chances that God gives us. We are a disobedient people, and we tend to run from God. We're prone to wonder, but God is a God of extreme grace. What what, what a privilege. He says the second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it this message that I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going on a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, listen to this message, might be the worst sermon in the Bible. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The worst sermon in the Bible, right there. Verse five, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed. I mean, can you imagine that? I'm, I'm working so hard, I've already said way more than that. He said one sentence and because God empowered a fast was proclaimed and revival broke out. It says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest of the least put on sackcloth and began to repent. God uses Jonah despite Jonah. Amen. I mean, God uses Jonah even in disobedience, even when his heart is not right, which is we're going to find out in chapter 4 to accomplish his purpose. I see that God specializes throughout the Bible in using broken people. If y'all have not seen anything through this series yet, it's that God specializes in taking normal, ordinary people that have messed up, that will messed up, and continues to use them to do incredible things for his kingdom. But listen to how Jonah responds. Verse 10, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring them the destruction that he had threatened. Verse chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in the midst of a revival or just seeing God save people around you and baptism and just the celebration that you see when people turn to the Lord, but very rarely do you see somebody walk away from a baptism service. And they're saying, Lord, I want to die. Jonah is in a terrible state. He still doesn't understand. He has the message of God, but he doesn't have the heart of God. And what you're going to see, and really the purpose of the book of Jonah, is that God wants Jonah to have the heart of God. And I believe he wants us to have the same thing. It's one thing to know the gospel message. It's another thing to live your life convicted with the heart of God, to go to people that do not have the gospel and that are lost. God, Jonah was good at, ge- at giving uh, people grace. You know, God, uh, he was good with God even giving the Ninevites grace. But, but the problem was, is that he was mad that he, that he gave the Ninevites grace, right? He was, he was okay with God being compassionate on him and the rebellious Israelites, which he made up. But when God stepped out and began to take it to people that weren't like Jonah, they didn't look like him, they didn't believe like him, they were his enemies, he was not okay with that. He was against that. He disagreed with God. So God begins to speak to him at the end of the book. And if you've read it, you know it kind of ends on a weird note. It's it's, it's Jonah in the desert uh, with a plant. And basically he goes to the far side of the desert again. He's kind of on suicide watch, so to speak. He's, 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 He's down. He's just Ready to die is what the Bible says. And this plant springs up in the middle of the desert and provides shade for about 24 hours. But then the plant begins to wither away. And again, he gets mad at God. And then God has this conversation with him. He says, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, Jonah said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it, or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You see, Jonah was more concerned with a plant that was providing selfish shade to him than he was with other people that were lost and dying and going to hell. And God was not okay with that. God wanted to do a work in Jonah. He tells Jonah, it's not your job to decide who's worthy of my grace and who isn't. It's your job to be obedient and to love people and to do what I ask you to do. And the book literally ends with a question. And so you should think, man, that's, that's kind of weird. No other book in the Bible ends with a question. Well, there's one other book that ends with a question. It's Nahum, which is about the same people 100 years later. But we see it ends with this question for a reason. It wants us to ask the same question that God is asking Jonah. Do we care about lost people? Do we care about lost people that we would consider our enemies? Do we care about lost people that look different than us, that are outside of our bubble of Dublin, Georgia? Do we care that people are dying and going to hell and they have no access to the gospel. They have nobody to go to them and share the story and the good news of Jesus that we're celebrating. How can we sing and love and and, and know God and know his message and the freedom and, and the empty grave that he's provided for us and not share this message with all of the world is what God is trying to speak to Jonah. Do the people around the world, all nations matter, to us, Do we care about people, lost people, more than our comfort and more than our possessions? So as you can tell, I mean, that's pretty much the whole book of Jonah uh, in a little bit. There's really nothing I can add to that. I'm going to give you a few thoughts on it and maybe how it could challenge us. It's an incredible book. I challenge you to read it, study it, ask God to speak to your heart. I know he's done the same thing uh, for me. I would love to point out to you three things that I felt like God pressed into my heart uh, while I was reading and studying this over the past few weeks. The first um, is this. I want to I look into the disobedience of Jonah. Jonah was disobedient, but there were some reasons he was disobedient. I want to talk about those because I think we can learn maybe some of the reasons that we are prone to wonder and some of the lies that we buy into when it comes to being disobedient. Secondly, I want to point out the faithfulness of God. And I want to show you that despite Jonah's disobedience, God pursued Jonah Recklessly, he never gave up on him. He continued to go to him and continued to prove himself faithful, even when Jonah didn't. And then, thirdly, I want to talk to you about the salvation. Of the Ninevites, so those are my three points. That's where I'm going. You guys know it. Let's do it. So, one, the disobedience of Jonah. Again, God gave Jonah very clear instruction: go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim this message, because their wickedness is about to come up before Him, and I'm going to judge them. But Jonah clearly does the opposite. Right? It says that he runs and flees. He doesn't just walk away from God. He runs and flees, gets on a boat, and goes the opposite direction. For a hundred miles, and he clearly disobeys. But again, it's easy for us to look at Jonah and think, what an idiot. Like, who would hear God and hear the word of God and run the opposite direction? Well, shame on you and me for thinking that. How many times have we heard the voice of God? How many sermons have we heard from the word of God, and we walk out of here and we come back in the next week and we have not applied what the word of God asked us to apply? Listen, we are Jonah. If we're anybody in the story, we are Jonah. So we must put ourselves in a posture of learning from Jonah. We are a running people. We're prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. We allow the things of this world to consume our minds, to consume our heart, our time, our energy. We prioritize ourselves over other people, even lost people, that if they die tomorrow, they go to hell. Lord, help us. We allow busyness to keep us from obeying God and from living out the Great Commission. We consume our time and our energy with things that have no eternal value while there's a lost world that's out there dying and going to hell. So let's learn from Jonah. Why did Jonah run from God? I want to give you a couple reasons, three, and then I want to ask one from you. The first reason that he ran from God is because it was difficult. Right, What God was asking Jonah to do was quite the difficult task. I told you earlier, it would literally be like God coming and speaking and me walking up to a person in here, or better yet, Jesus coming and walking up to a person in here and saying, I've, I have a message for you. And that message is I need you to pack up your stuff. And tomorrow I need you to fly to Afghanistan if you can get in. We may not be able to get you into the airport because of all the hostility. We're gonna fly you into a neighboring country and we're gonna bring you in through the border because I've called you to go take the gospel to the people of Afghanistan. Now, let me give you some, some, some tips. The people of Afghanistan do not like Christians. They're persecuting Christians. But the church is flourishing over there right now. So I, that would at least give me some hope going in. But the church would not flourish in Nineveh, right? Nineveh, no gospel, no church, killing people, Christians, whoever it was, and and burning them at the stake. This was not an easy task that God was coming to Jonah with, not an easy job to do. Listen to what Tony Evans said. He said they would torture you, they would kill you, they would put your corpse on display, and, and later they would point Uh, paint a picture to document their atrocity that they have done. This is the type of people that God has called them. The book of Nahum talks about it in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is how he explains the, the, the city of Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of the whips, the clatter of the wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, Charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Anybody want to volunteer to go to Nineveh and share the gospel? Man, this was hard. And how many of you know and have followed Jesus long enough that he's going to ask us to do some hard things? Surrender is hard. Because when you surrender to God, you're putting your yes on the table and literally saying, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. God, I want you and I want to follow you no matter what. We're laying down our security. We're laying down our life for the sake of following Jesus. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And listen, so many times we lose this in the gospel message. The gospel message is incredible. It's worth it, I promise. Listen, in, it, literally Jesus said, if, in order to find life, we must lose our life. So the risk is worth the reward 100%. But don't hear me right. There is risk. And there is cost when it comes to following Jesus. Many times in in our country, we forget that. And because we forget that, we feel like God would not ask us to do hard things. And if he asks us to do hard things, it must not be God. But what we need to understand is we are at war. Literally, for the Great Commission to continue to be lived out through God's church, there is an enemy. And the last thing he wants is the lost people in Dublin, Georgia to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The last thing he wants are for the people of our country, the people of our world to come to know Jesus Christ. Listen, he's already defeated. So he's just throwing haymakers as he's going down on his back, but he's throwing the haymakers and he's directing the attention of the haymakers on the people that are embracing the Great Commission. Listen, Following Jesus will not be easy, but it will be worth it. And the risk is worth the reward. Secondly, we see that Jonah ran uh, because he didn't want to go. Literally, there was no desire in him. He didn't feel like doing what God had asked him to do. He literally disagreed with God. He did not believe that literally the Ninevites deserved to escape God's judgment. He was putting himself in the shoes of God and judging the Ninevites with his heart instead of the heart of God. How many of us know that we as sinners deserve the judgment of God? And Jonah's the same boat. We deserve the judgment of God. So that's why at the end, God literally speaks to him and said, who are you to decide who gets mercy and doesn't get mercy? You follow me. You follow me, your yes is on the table. Jonah felt like the Ninevites deserved judgment. They were murderers, enemies, rapists, terrorists, all of these things. They didn't deserve the compassion of God. You see, Jonah didn't have necessarily uh, theology issues. He knew the gospel. He knew that salvation came from God alone. He knew that repentance was the pathway to salvation. What Jonah had was a heart issue. Jonah did not have the heart of God. He had the message of God, but he didn't have the heart of God. And some of us, listen, there's more to it than just going and and literally just sharing the gospel with a person. We got to love people because love creates perseverance. I mean, you have a friend that's just far from God and you love them. Your heart breaks for them. You pray for them all the time. And it doesn't matter if they tell you no a thousand times. That one time they say yes is going to be the greatest day of your life. How I many of you guys know that was Buck in my life? How I many of you guys know there's been thousands, there's been hundreds of people in my life, literally, that I've prayed and that I love, that I just saw that they were giving their life to this American dream that literally was just wasting away. It was over promising and under delivering. And I just prayed and God shared and tried to show them Jesus over and over. How many times did I go into my room and get down on my knees beside my bed and just cry? God, why? God, they're chasing after things that if they don't end up in jail, they're going to end up dead. And they're going to miss the whole point, the whole joy, all the peace that you're offering, the fulfillment that you've offered. Jonah didn't feel this way about the Ninevites, and God was dealing with him in this. Jonah didn't need to be converted to Christ. He needed a missional conversion. That's what he needed. I mean, you get baptized when you get saved, and with that comes the heart of God. But many times as we follow God and we start dealing with sinful people and then we get mad at sinners for living like sinners. And so Satan turns us around and begins to get us mad at the people that God's called us to go to and reach. So we look back and we look at the people in our life that have wronged us or they've done this or they've done that. And instead of praying for them and seeing them through the lens that God saw us before Christ, we step back and judge them. Man. What an idiot. They don't deserve God. They're going to do that. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to spend. I, I, I got, last time I gave them money, they, they took it and did something crazy. I'm not saying don't be smart, but I'm saying we have to per- relentlessly pursue people the same way God relentlessly pursued us. Jonah ran because he didn't want to go. The third reason Jonah ran is because he thought running was going to fix it. Well, it fix this, this guilt and this shame that was in his heart, this, this, this desire that he thought, if I could just run from God, everything will be okay. I'll just change the subject. I'll change the scenery. I'll outrun the grace of God. How many of you guys have been there? I've been there. God tells you to do something. It's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. That's not real convenient for me right now. I don't need to do that. So you just start trying to not think about God. You quit reading your Bible. You kind of, you know, don't go to church. Anywhere that reminds you of what God's asked you to do. Maybe it's breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe it's going to share the gospel with a person that you don't want to. Maybe it's giving money to somebody or giving to the church or doing something that's uncomfortable or maybe even going overseas. And you just begin to say, I don't want to do that because I don't want to do it. I'm going to run. And maybe there'll be some, some satisfaction. But listen, running from God is more costly than following God. 100 percent like it'll cost you time it'll cost you money it'll cost you peace it'll cost you way more than what it would cost if you followed jesus listen there is nothing more miserable in the christian life than running from god take that from a pastor Listen, when I know God's called me to do something and I don't feel like doing it or I, I can't make sense of what it's going to work out, you know, God never promised to give us the whole picture. You got that, right? God never promised to say, hey, Billy, I need, I want you to do this, and here's how it's going to play out, and eventually this person's going to get saved, and I, he's going to plant a church, and man, God's going to do some incredible stuff. I never got that. What I got was, hey, you be faithful, you love me, you love him, and you continue to pray and share the gospel. That's it. Well, God, what if he don't listen? What if he hates me? What if he never listens? He doesn't give us the full picture, but what he gives us is the step that he wants us to take. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. This is something David realized uh, very early on. Listen to what David uh, says in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. David says, listen, I've tried it. I've tried to run from God, but it doesn't work because you can't outrun him. He's omnipresent. Literally, you can run to the farthest side of the desert. You know where he found Moses? Far side of the desert. You can run to the other far side of the desert. You know where he found Jonah? The desert. You can, I mean, Jonah was even trying to to kill himself out there. And God found him. Literally, you cannot run from God. This is why you hear the statement, you cannot outrun the grace of God. How many of you guys were found at the worst point of your life? Usually it's rock bottom where God swoops in and saves us. Because for many of us, it takes rock bottom to soften a stubborn heart. I know for me, listen, so many years I just did my thing and it took God crashing my plans of what I thought was good for my life for me to just even stop and say, man, is there more to life than this? Like, did God create me for more than just sports? Because I was consumed, man. I was living my life. And when I got to that place, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what to do with my life. It was in that moment that God swooped in and he said, "Listen, I'll tell you, you were created for me, and you were created to be in a relationship with me. You were created to live for me, and I can take an empty vessel with not a lot of talent and ability, and I'll do things that you never thought I could do with your life. And it ain't because of you, it's because of me. It ain't about you, it's about me. And that's what God specializes in doing. So let me ask you a question. What is it that's hindering your obedience? Like, let's turn Jonah around and let's begin to ask ourselves some personal questions. Why don't you do what God tells you to do? What is it that that, that you hear a message like you're hearing right now and you walk out of this room and you hear something like you know you need to surrender to God? You know God's asked you to, to start that, that group with amongst this unreached people in Dublin. You know God's asked you to go share the gospel with this person in your life. But you walk out of here. What is it that causes you to directly disobey God? Is it comfort? Is it love for this world? Is it fear? Is it the approval of others or what they may think about you? Is it complacency? Is it busyness? Is it that you just love walking in sin more than you love the God that created you? What is it? Because listen, there are many things that have kept me from fully obeying God at times. But listen, ultimately the Bible says there's one trump card. There's one thing that compels us to obedience unconditional. That means that when God tells us to do it, our yes is on the table. God, whatever, whenever, I'm ready to do it. The Bible says there's one trump card. There's one thing that leads us to live a life of unconditional obedience. You know what it is? Love for God. Love for God. He says, you love me so much that no matter what I ask you to do, you're willing to do it. Because you know me. Because the more you know God, the more you're going to love him. When you realize this statement in Romans 8, 28, that God works out all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That point, your yes goes on the table. God, I realize everything you're doing in this life is worth it because you're working all things out for your glory, which is my that's the thing that I want to live for most, and for my good, which is something that I have no idea. I can try to live for my own good, but ultimately He's in sovereign, He's in control, so He controls what's best for me. He sees around the corner, He knows it. And the moment you begin to grow in that love for God, to say, God, I, I want to I find life in you. I want to live for you unconditionally. It flows out of love for God. Read the book of 1 John, 1 John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Listen, the more we know him, the more we love him, the more we love him, the more we want to follow Him. If we do not obey God, then there are two real options going on in our life. Option one, we either choose to love something or someone else more than Him. Or two, we don't know Him. We don't know Him. Because if we know Him, we love Him. If we love Him, we follow Him. This is why Satan's main attack on our life is to keep us from knowing God (laughs) through His Word. Because if He can get us to doubt, God doesn't love you. He doesn't have your best in mind. He doesn't want to use you. Somebody like you, a lost sinner, broken person. Why would God want to use somebody like you? It's exactly opposite to the word of God. Because the more you read the word of God, the more you see his heart for you, his heart for uh, his glory, his heart to use broken people like you and I. And it just creates this deep love where you want to depend on him. You want to follow him. You want to love him. You want to be used by him. The second thing we see in the story of Jonah is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. This is beautiful. This is probably the main part. Jonah's not a book about a big fish. It's a book about a big, faithful, compassionate God. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God pursued him relentlessly. I just want to read a couple of verses. Chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord sent, who sent it? The Lord, a great wind on the sea. Verse chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Who provided it? The Lord. Chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to to Jonah a second time. Who gave the second chance? God did. Chapter four, verse nine. But then God came to Jonah in the wilderness and said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? No matter what stage of life Jonah was in, no matter how far he ran, no matter how far he tried to go from God, what did God do? He pursued him. He spoke to him. He said, I'm still here. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. This is what I've asked you to do. I'm not giving up on you. This is the faithfulness of God. He pursued Jonah with a storm. He pursued him with a whale. He pursued him and offered him a second chance. He pursued Jonah even when he was sulking in the desert. This is our God, unrelenting grace. This is why we sing songs like his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. This is our God. This is who he is. And the book of Jonah shows it. His grace literally chases us down. Even in our disobedience, he's faithful. And this is the message that some of us need to hear this morning. Listen, you're in this room and you think God has given up on you. And listen, you are exposed in here before God. I may not know what's going on in your life. Matter of fact, I don't know what's going on in most of your lives in this room, but God does. And the good news of the gospel is that God sees you, he knows you, and he hasn't given up on you. And he sent me, just a mailman, I'm just carrying the message, on behalf of God to tell you that God loves you and that he hasn't given up on you and he's got a purpose for your life. But you got to quit being so darn hard-headed. And you got to see that he loves you and that he has a plan for your life. And running from God gets you nowhere but exactly where you don't want to be. And this morning, God's given us a great opportunity. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our God. Jonah, in in chapter 4, verse 2, he knows God. Listen to what he says. This is how he describes God. He is gracious. He is a compassionate God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He is a God who relents from sending calamity. This is God. Listen, this is our God. Don't you know that God loved the Ninevites so much? Why? Because he was willing to put Jonah in a fish for three days and three nights. That's, that's drastic. That's extreme. But also, don't you know that God loves you because he was willing to put his own son on a cross, in a grave for three days and three nights. You are valuable to God. He loves you. He's got a purpose for your life. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you did it with. I don't care how far you think you've separated yourself from God. I don't care how much you think God's given up on you. Listen, you look at the cross. I don't care what any other preacher has told you. I don't care what your religious mom and dad or your religious aunt and uncle or family has told you. I want you to look to the cross and I want you to see the truth of God's word. No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter what you think you've done that has disqualified you from the grace of God, in his word, he loves you. And he wants to work in your life, but you can't do it on your own. It starts with surrender. It starts with you coming to the place where Jonah came inside the fish And even hopefully after the book of Jonah, God brought him to that place of surrender again. And even for us Christians, listen, it seemed like Jonah repented in the fish. But then he goes and preaches the message. Maybe he was pumped up. Maybe he had the right heart or maybe he didn't. But after he saw how they responded, he went to the far side of the wilderness and started sulking again. So guess what? The process happened over again. And hopefully, I don't know what he sent after this, probably not a fish because he was in the desert, maybe a camel, whatever. And it came to him. And he drew him again to repentance. So Christian, in the room, maybe you're, maybe you're a follower of Christ, but maybe you've just begun to kind of wander off. Today, God sent me here to tell you, he loves you and he's faithful and he's not done with you. He's got a plan for your life. And it starts with coming to a place of surrender. Our God is faithful. He is faithful. The third thing I want to talk to you about is the salvation of the Ninevites. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. The Ninevites, uh, Nineveh is a pagan nation, and you have to know a little bit about the Bible to understand the significance of that. If you read the Old Testament, which you guys have been going through, you see a lot of tension on this one group of people called the Israelites. And if you you read, at some point a question is going to pop into your head like, does God care about anybody else? Because it seems like all of his attention is on the Israelites. But we see very clearly in the scriptures as well that God loves pagan nations. He doesn't just love the Israelites. He literally, Genesis 12, chapter, one through, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I read it right before I came out here. He says, Abraham, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to bless you. But I'm not just blessing you for you. I'm blessing you to make you a nation that's going to bless the world and take and be a blessing to all nations. This is God's plan. This is the will of God that we see revealed throughout the Bible is to take his gospel, not just to Dublin, Georgia, but on on from there, outside of Lawrence County, to the state of Georgia, to to the nation. Of, of the United States into the rest of the world. That's what God wants us to do. This is why it's such a big deal. Listen to chapter one, verse two. He says, "Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me." Four eleven. He says it again. And should I not have concern for the what city of Nineveh? The great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people. So when he sees the city of Nineveh, he doesn't just see a great city. He sees it as a great city that he wants to be living for God, but he sees it as 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. He sees it as a a group of people. Listen, and that's what we have to begin to understand. It's so easy to separate ourselves from people that don't know God so that we just see them as lost and we don't put a face with a name. But how many of you guys know that you did not do anything, anything you were, wor- like literally nothing to be born in Dublin, Georgia, into a, 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 a place where there is a gospel speaking church, there's a gospel preaching church? How many of you know that? You didn't do anything. You didn't choose. You didn't tell your mom, hey, I want to be born here in 2000 uh, or 1980, whatever, whatever year you were born. Well, how many, how many of us know that right now, as we speak, there are literally three. Billion, billion people in the world that literally are born into a place, just like you and me, they didn't choose to be born there. They're born into a place that have no access to the gospel. None. Not a church, not one worker there that's talking about Jesus in any part. We call these people unreached, not just lost, but unreached, because there's nobody there to share the gospel. If they wanted to hear the gospel. They have nobody to go to to tell them. Most of them do not even have a Bible in their language so that they can have God revealed to them. Listen, think about it. Afghanistan. Literally 38 million people in the country of Afghanistan. Most of them, no gospel, no place to go. Nobody sharing the gospel with them. No Bible in their language. India, one billion. Listen, I'm, not, I'm saying numbers But God doesn't see numbers, he sees faces. I want you to think about, just for a minute, North Korea, 25 million, Nepal, 29 million, Somalia, 15 million, Tunisia, 12 million, Turkey, 83 million, Afghanistan, who I prayed for this morning. If you don't have the Joshua Project app, I encourage you, the unreached of the day, download it. And what you can begin to see are these people all around the world, just like you and me, that have no access to the gospel, Every day you can pray for them because we need people to go. We need people to pray. We need people to give. And listen, we're not going to be those people unless we put ourselves in the shoes of these people. Unless we see them as a face and a name and a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And listen, I'm not saying every person in this room is called to go, but you're called to be a part of it. Listen, I pray every day, just like I pray for our church in Bidalia, that God would use our churches to raise up people that are willing to say, I'm done with living for myself. God, my yes is on the table. Whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do it. There's so many people, if they died today, they're going to hell without ever hearing the name of Jesus. No access to the gospel, and something has to change. It's so, you know, when you, when you read the book of Jonah, it's so like you you can even miss the point of the entire book because we are so uh, self-centered in our thinking. You know, a lot of times we don't even think about the city of Nineveh. And then we don't even relate it to uh, the people around the world that have no access to the gospel. And so when we read the book of Jonah, we have to be reminded of the heart of God. And listen, I want to give you a definition of something. This is what uh, we've defined in Vidalia, and I've, I've talked to Buck. Buck defines it this way as well of, of what we mean when we say the word sending church. How many of you heard the term live sent in here? You know, we believe that when we come to follow God, that God calls us to go. Like, it's almost like a, like a tornado. When you come to follow God, God spins you around for a little bit. You get to know him, you get discipled, and then boom, you send back out to go into the world. And then in heaven, we all get back together and we rejoice and sing together like we're doing now. But every Christian is a missionary, right? So Jesus, when he came and told, what did he say? Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He he didn't say, hey, follow me, but Billy, you don't have to fish for men hey, I realize you got two kids, there's not much time. You know, you, you, just, you just focus on them. Yeah, fish for them. But no, he says, I'm going to call you and make you a fisher of men. And so if we're in this room and we're a follower of Jesus, God wants us to be living sent in an incredible way. And listen to this. Here's what the Bible would call a sending church. And I think I have this definition on the screen for you. Yeah, here it is. It says this, a, a sending church is this, a local community of Christ followers who have made a covenant together to be prayerful, deliberate, and proactive in developing, commissioning, and sending their own members both locally and globally, often in partnership with other churches or agencies, and continuing to encourage support and advocate for them while they're making disciples cross-culturally. This is what a sending church is all about. Listen, it's so easy to get caught up at just coming to a service. We call that a consumer Christian. You just come in, you kind of eat your food, you sing your songs, you go back about your life, you compartmentalize the Christian life. But listen, this is not the Christian faith. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So let me ask you a question. Are you living sent? That's what the book of Jonah is trying to get us to ask. Are we leveraging our life for the mission of God? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you today Would Literally, if I asked you this question, how many of you guys right now are actively making a disciple? How many of you could raise your hand and say, Billy, that's me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm giving my life to it. I'm looking. I'm praying. I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm spending my time investing in people. Listen, we live in a world that is consumed with busyness. And if you're not careful, you'll live this entire life and you'll come to church You may even read your Bible in the morning time. You may even label yourself a Christian and be a great person, but you miss God's purpose for your life. Make disciples of all nations. That's what God's called us to do. Literally, if there's anything to give your life to, give your life to making disciples of all nations. Bow your head. I want to pray for us. I want to ask you a few questions. You know, there's a few Messages that we can get from the book of Jonah that I think God can really prick our hearts with. You know, to Jonah, the invitation that God gave him was an invitation of repentance. He was a guy that was walking in disobedience and God gave him the invitation to turn from his sin and turn back to God and begin to live out the mission of God and go to Nineveh, which is a hard place to go. But the choice for him was not God or Nineveh. The choice for him was God and Nineveh. And so for some of us in this room, God has revealed in our hearts and in our lives this morning that we are walking in disobedience. How do we know? We're not living on the mission of God. We're not going to lost people and we're not praying for them. We're not actively sharing the gospel with them. And this morning, I pray that God would draw your heart into repentance and begin to send you out. Listen, you can't do it on your own. You need help. You need the Holy Spirit of God to continue to help and work in your life. But to the Ninevites, the book of Jonah was an invitation to salvation. And so maybe there's some people in this room right now and you you don't have a relationship with God. Listen, I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've ever read the Bible. I'm asking, have you put your yes on the table? Have you come to a place where you've seen that God loves you and that he's got a plan for your life? And if you turn from living for yourself, say, God, I'm done with sin. I don't want it anymore. I want you. I've seen that I'm created by you. I'm created for you. And you've done everything necessary to save me by sending your son to take my place on a cross, to take the punishment that I deserve for my sin so that I could become a faithful follower of you. And this morning you said, Billy, that's me. I don't have a relationship with God, but this morning I want one. I want to come to faith in Christ. I want to put my faith in him and I want to turn from my sin. If that's anybody in this room, I just ask you to raise your hand. Anybody in here, I want to pray for you. You said, Billy, that's me, 100%. Today's the day of salvation for me. I want to turn to God. Amen. So let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your grace. God, I need it. God, I'm so thankful that you didn't give up on me when I'm at my worst. God, there's so many times where you've asked me to do things and I've just turned the opposite way. Maybe I've not done it, but I've been delayed in doing it. So Father, I pray that you would help me become more obedient. God, help me become more and more like you. Father, I pray for the people in this room right now that you've drawn into this invitation. God, I thank you for the salvation. God, I thank you for the people in this room that, have realized that, God, you've called us to live on mission. And, God, I pray right now, Lord, you give us the great commission. Go make disciples. But, God, you bookend it with the promise of your authority and presence. And, God, you, you put on the end, God, that you'll be with us wherever we go. So, God, I pray, God, for the person in here that feels just, just fearful about going to live out your mission, that they would be reminded, God, that you go with us. You don't send us alone. And, God, you want to use us to do incredible things. God, I pray for this church. God, I pray that you would continue to use it to transform this community of Dublin. God, I pray for people to be raised up out of this church. God, to go plant churches in other places. God, to go be missionaries all around the world. God, that take you and your mission seriously. God, only you can do that. So, Father, we leave it in your hands, and we ask that you would create in us a heart that matches your heart. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.